Hi, I'm Jane Miller, and I'm the Executive Director of Healing Companions Incorporated, and you're listening to the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to the Animal Academy Podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Animal Academy Podcast. I've had the privilege to have known many veterinary professionals from veterinarians, veterinary nurses, and veterinary technicians over the years who provided quality care to my pets. These professionals have challenges that most people are not aware of, and besides taking care of our animals, they also have to help their human clients deal with issues such as pet loss and bereavement. There's also a high rate of compassion fatigue and suicide among veterinary professionals, which is tragic. I am honored to speak with Dr. Lori Kogan and Dr. Sherry Berger so they can discuss the services they offer to the veterinary community as well as resources for pet owners. Sherry and Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Thank Allison. So before we start talking about the program and services you offer, could you please tell me a little bit about yourselves and how you started working together? I'm Sherry Berger. I'm a veterinary ophthalmologist that's uh, actually been retired from clinical practice for several years now, and I founded VetBind just about 10 years ago uh, as leading this website that is an online continuing education provider for veterinary professionals, as well as positioning itself to support our colleagues in practice in various ways. I first met Lori over two years ago now when I reached out to her in regard to a program that we were looking to develop on elements of the human-animal bond. Um, I'd come across her textbook and reached out to her, and she was very gracious in responding, and that forged a relationship that's uh, taken us up to the present day. Well, I, I enjoyed meeting you the other day through a Zoom call, and I was excited to be able to share the information about VetVine, I, I know that a lot of people can benefit from your services. Could you talk a little bit about what is VetVine and what services do you offer? Yeah, so as I said, we uh, initiated this website as a continuing education provider online. VetVine is an accredited continuing education provider. And that's been our core service offering, producing and hosting webinars, and other video content of a practical nature to help support colleagues in practice. And along the way, we've also had a huge contingent of pet owners that have joined in to learn from the experts as well. So we have somewhat of a diverse audience, all of which are very you know, keen on learning cutting-edge information on pet health. As I mentioned, we've positioned ourselves to serve as an extension of veterinary practices in a supportive role. We've done that over the years through some telemedicine specialty consulting. Mm -hmm. Most recently, this past May, launching an online pet loss and grief support service offering for pet owners online. So that's our newest service offering. 
for pet owners and also looking to work with veterinary professionals in a supportive role for their clients. Could you give me an example of how you would work with the veterinarians to support their clients? Yeah, so we've actually been promoting this service offering to our membership, our veterinarians and other veterinary technicians and hospital managers, to make them aware of this service offering and actually um, have created an opportunity to partner with us whereby a veterinary practice could partner with us and refer their clients to enhance the end-of-life experience that they're providing for their clients. So you know what I've noticed, what, what actually came to mind is I work with clients that are suffering from pet loss and bereavement, and there are a lot of issues around that, so I'm excited to hear about your, the services that you offer. But one of the things, because of COVID, that has come up is, you know, I've talked to veterinary technicians who said that it's really difficult. It's even more of a challenge now because a lot of the pet owners cannot be with their animals at the end of life. They're not able to go into the veterinary hospitals. So that might be something in the future to tap into to be able to support some of those clients that are going through a really difficult time. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question that the pandemic has altered the way that euthanasia is performed and the entire euthanasia experience, not only for the pet owners, but also for the veterinary team. Mm-hmm. On the best of days, providing a good end-of-life experience is something that veterinary professionals have not necessarily been well-educated in, although that's changing There's a lot more educating around performing euthanasia, understanding more about the grief experience that people are experiencing with euthanasia. And there's no question that COVID has compounded that not only for the owners, but for the veterinary teams who are navigating through this. So can you talk a little bit about the pet loss and bereavement services that you offer online and how would somebody go about accessing those services? We have assembled, both Lori and I endeavored together to identify some qualities of of individuals and an experience that we wished to create or bring into an online environment for pet loss and grief support. We set out to recruit people who are interested in, in participating in this. We received a number of applications towards that end from a wide variety of individuals, but largely people who are very experienced in doing this in their, as part of their current jobs now or on the side now. People who um, have experience in facilitating pet loss and grief support groups. So we have counseling psychologists who are part of our team. We have social workers as part of our team people who are interested and focused on pet loss and grief support and even compassion fatigue in in the veterinary professionals who are party to this. And we've created what we hope is a a wonderful experience for people who join these groups. They're, at this point, open groups, so people can drop in once or they can come back time and again to talk about whatever it is that they're feeling related to their pet's loss and the grief that they're feeling, but also to come away with some resources and some suggestions for navigating, you know, through areas that they're struggling um, as part of their grief journey. 
So if, if somebody uh, goes to your website, Vetvine, and we, you know, all this information will be in the show notes, so people can click on that and go easily to your website. Are there directions how to access your online pet loss and bereavement services? There are. I mean, we have a scheduling calendar, and uh, we offer a number of groups every month that are conveniently scheduled across all time zones of uh, North America. So people can choose the group that they'd like to attend. As mentioned, we offer several a week right now. Our groups are conducted for an hour at a time, and we limit them to five participants. So it's an intimate, you know, safe sharing experience uh, for people. It is a fee-based service, but in partnering with veterinary and pet care professionals, we're able to potentially provide the service at no charge to people as part of those relationships. Okay. And Lori, what about the work that you do at Colorado State? Can you talk a little bit about your area of, of interest as well and how this combines with, with Sherry's? Sure. I'm a professor in the clinical sciences department at Colorado State. So really pretty much everybody I work with there is a veterinarian. And then all of my research and teaching revolves around human-animal interactions and in some capacity And then I'm a psychologist by training. So it really dovetails nicely with the work that Sherry is doing. Everything from certainly the the grief and loss aspects related to to pets fits nicely within some of the other research that I've done. Well, and you have so many resources available at Colorado State. And I enjoy looking at some of the programs that you're continuously posting about and the educational programs that will continue to help facilitate that human-animal connection. Mm-hmm. Another role that I have is I'm chair of the human-animal actions section of the American Psychological Association. And one of the things that we do is provide um, ongoing webinars. And we also have a peer-reviewed journal, the Human-Animal Interaction Bulletin, mm-hmm. all of which are available to anybody. You don't have to be a psychologist. And, and there's actually no membership dues to join so it's, an, it's a nice opportunity for folks from all sorts of different disciplines to network and then gain some additional knowledge and readings on some of these different topics that kind of fall underneath this extremely broad umbrella of human-animal interaction. I was actually going to ask you, I just got a notification that there is going to be a webinar And I wanted to ask you about it to see if this is something that anybody could join, the effects of service dogs on psychosocial health and well-being for individuals with physical disabilities or chronic conditions. That looks really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe what you're referring to, so another initiative that we've just started is I've wanted to do a journal club um, Mm -hmm. for the HAI section. I've kind of morphed it a little bit where traditional academic journal clubs are usually somebody presents somebody else's work, and then everybody kind of critiques it and -hmm. and talks about it. What we're going to do, and so this one that you're talking about is our second one, is is have people just present their own work and then kind of open it up for some discussion about that topic in general. And and so, yes, to answer your question, um, anybody is invited to come. All we ask is that people sign up to be a member, which takes less than two minutes literally online, and then, and then, yes, um, anybody can join. And then whether it's the webinars that we offer, some of those we offer as CE for psychologists, 
but again, you don't have to be a psychologist to attend. They tend to be where we do a presentation and then we kind of just have some informal Q&A. So it's a great opportunity to learn about some of these different aspects of human-animal interaction that, that perhaps you're not as aware of or knowledgeable about. And service dogs is a great example. Mm-hmm. The field continues to expand, doesn't it? It certainly does. I mean, and I think sometimes, you know, what I, I like to tell people, especially coming from the psychology realm, is that the field of HAI is a lot broader than just animal-assisted therapy because sometimes that's what people think of. Mm-hmm. And, and it really, to me, encompasses so much more. It really encompasses, you know, everything from, you know, I've done some research looking at just the effects of, of having a pet, for example, especially during times of, of COVID mm-hmm. um, and, and how having a pet maybe impacts people's psychological well-being. Also looking at the mental health of veterinary practitioners um, and professionals. And again, that really is dovetailed nicely with the work that Vetvine and Sherry is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a very challenging time. I've never had more of my clients in my private practice say, I think I'm going to get a pet. I just feel so lonely at home. And then they get a pet and they don't return for services because all of a sudden they feel so much better. They're walking their dog. Their depression is starting to clear and their anxiety is reducing. Or I use pets as part of a whole meditation or deep breathing practice where I have them emulate their pets breathing and they find that to be really helpful. Oh, that's great. That's so funny because I... I'm doing a little study right now looking at having folks go through a relaxation training, a progressive muscle relaxation training, assessing if they do it with their with their dog versus without. And, and the pilot data would suggest that people enjoyed it more with their dog. Um, they relaxed either way. Uh-huh. But, um, but it, yes, I mean, I think that there's something about animals. And, you know, I was thinking about people wanting to adopt more now right now and and I was kind of struck by earlier today I actually had to run out to the bank and I was going through the drive-through and there was a woman in the car next to me going through the drive-through at the bank also so you know you're kind of parked there for a little bit she had this like little white kind of foo-foo dog on her lap who has his little head out the window you know while she's like filling out her forms and stuff and and I'm in Colorado right now where the fires are horrendous. Mm-hmm. Like the air quality is horrible. Mm. And there's a lot of things that kind of feel not so great about. And I, I realize that as I'm looking at this little dog who's looking at me in his little adorable Halloween <laughs> scarf and all, that I, I wasn't thinking about anything else. I wasn't thinking about the elections or mm-hmm. the fire or I was just thinking about how gosh darn cute he was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what animals do for us, is I think that they help us be present in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's part of why the loss of them, you know, and, and why I'm so passionate about helping Sherry with this project is so critical. And it's so important that, you know, we be there to help people through that transition. It's really, really important and valuable. And in a previous podcast, I talked a little bit about an experience I had when I worked for a large healthcare organization. I was really busy, and I came home at the end of the day, and 
I was still on my cell phone. It was a nice day, and I had a puppy that had to be housebroken. And so I brought him outside and was kind of thinking to myself, hurry up. I needed to, you know, in the backyard so I could take you inside and give you a treat or whatever. And all of a sudden, he started doing some really cute things. And he chased a bug. He chased a stick. And he was jumping up, just enjoying life. And here I am on my work cell phone. And I found myself just putting it down and just watching him play. And all of a sudden, I felt calmer because I'm laughing at him. And I thought, why am I, you know, I'm off work. So why am I still at work at home? And I'm missing out on these potential, these really cute moments. And so I learned a really important lesson then. Now I have a six month old golden retriever puppy. And I don't do any kind of deep breathing because he's always so active that it would just make me more anxious to do that. (laughs) I don't really want to try to mimic his breathing because he's always running around. But he gives me another source of uh, joy and pleasure just watching him. So I totally agree with you. I just, you just describing being at the bank and seeing this cute little foo-foo dog with a little Halloween scarf made me smile and I wasn't even there. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And I think those are the stories that we need. And that also is that element of bonding with other people, right? Mm -hmm. We do that over animals. We do that even through telling a story. But then we know that animals act as a social lubricant for folks. I mean, I I typically don't go up to random strangers when I'm out, like, going for a walk or something. When Mm -hmm. they're by themselves, I'm much more tempted if they're with a really cute dog. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I've, I've heard that from clients who do have some social anxiety, that they always, you know, take their dog with them, and it helps promote that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't have to think about what to say. People just automatically, what kind of dog is that type of thing? And that's part of why they're so effective in therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Very unconditional love. I was just talking to somebody earlier who is a professional who went for a professional photo shoot, and she took her dog with her. And she found, you know, after the photographer took the picture, she realized that the photographer was just taking a picture of her dog. So (laughs) she just, uh, she got the picture she wanted, and now she's focused on her cute little dog. (laughs) Hearing what you're talking about, you know, the place and and the importance that these animals have in people's lives, you know, I think one of the things that I've noticed time and again, both in talking with our facilitators and even understanding, you know, a lot of the themes that come up in some of our groups is the fact that, you know, these losses, you know, these animals that bring us so much joy and these kinds of stories that we can tell, when we experience that loss, that profound loss, how often it is actually disenfranchised or not embraced by, Mm -hmm. you know, even people who are close to us, Mm -hmm. people in our, even in our innermost circles may not understand the depths of that bond. And um, I think that's another reason and and another really important aspect of of what the service offering provides for people is is a place for that to be validated and shared openly without, you know, any judgment. And the validation is is really, really critical. I have so many people that come in that feel a lot of shame and guilt for even coming in for therapy due to their pet loss. And the very first thing is, I don't know if I really need to be here. You know, I'm, I'm told that I need to just either get another dog, get another cat, or it's just a dog, it's just a cat. And they feel this very intense emotion 
there is a sense of shame because the, the people, you like you just said, family members, friends who they're very close to, they can't talk about this because they've been pushed away and they need a forum. They need like-minded people to be able to share their grief with and to know that they're okay. Yeah, that is true. And I, I think back of an experience that I had myself several years ago and, you know, in, in truth, in, in launching the service and as part of the interview process, you know, we, we did some mock groups with our facilitators to kind of get a sense of how these sessions would flow, what, what did we want for them to look like and feel like for people who participated. And I opened up about a pet that I had lost several years ago, a dog that died very suddenly, unexpectedly mm. after a surgery. I'll never forget, I mean, it's almost 10 years ago now, uh, it'll be 10 years ago, Christmas Eve, actually, that I got a call that she, you know, basically died suddenly mm. in the middle of the night in the hospital. The range of feelings that I experienced, and I'm a, I'm a professional, you know, mm-hmm. I, I worked in this profession for, for 30, over 30 years now, and I know all aspects of animal care, end of life, the operations behind it all client care, client services, but I was as hit as hard as anybody. Because you're human. <laughs> right. I'm human. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on the other, on the flip side of it, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time, but I, looking back in retrospect, realized how uncared for I was by even people who I had worked with, who I respected, and who, you know, liked me as much as I liked them. What I've learned in this process of working with Lori and our wonderful group of facilitators is that there's so much more that can be done, not just from the prepared professionals outside of the veterinary practice, but what the veterinary practices themselves can and should be doing to support their clients, maybe not themselves, but to at least provide a point of referral for this type of support. It it can be so meaningful. It's so important. I know how I felt for days after I lost my dog, even though supported by people who cared about me, family, friends, and the like. The feelings were just, they were unsupported in in ways that if I had known about this type of support or had access to to it myself, Mm -hmm. I I can only imagine how valuable it would have been for me personally. And that's how I know this is so important for all people who have pets and for the veterinary and pet care professionals to be able to speak to it and about it with their clients. That really is important. And actually in talking to different veterinary professionals, the ones that I've spoken with recently are kind of at a loss as to how to look for the red flags in their human clients. And they've they've actually had client suicide after the loss of their, their pets. So even coming in after the fact to be able to provide support to the veterinary staff who feel at a loss for, should I have done something? Should I have been able to see some of those signs? With the suicide rate among all people is very, very high. And, you know, again, among veterinarians, high in itself. I think maybe that's an area, too, of focus is what are those red flags to be able to look for when you're so busy working with the animals and taking care of those needs how can we then provide the referrals needed for the, for the human clients? 
I do think it's very kind of important that folks recognize that perhaps it, that that feels kind of overwhelming to people that are not professionally trained. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that you can err on the side of caution and that I think that almost anybody can benefit from some additional support. Mm-hmm. And so as opposed to kind of thinking about, I would save these recommendations for people that you feel like for sure are exhibiting red flags, um, I probably would just offer support to everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> and to not make judgments about who might be interested or who might be more needing of such services because mm-hmm. I don't think that we're very good at being able to determine. And and I'm sure that, you know, since you do some counseling, you, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that some of the people that come to counseling are not necessarily the stereotypical people that you would think that would want or benefit from counseling. Right. You know, so I, I think it adds a lot of pressure, perhaps, to mm-hmm. veterinary professionals to say, well, gosh, you really need to be better at, at identifying those signs, rather than just saying, you know what, here's some services that you could just offer to everybody, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they're going through hard times or when they are going through anticipatory grief or um, actual grief after a loss. Yeah, that's a great point. And then it takes the thinking process out of it. Right. And and the, and the sense of responsibility, I mean, because, yeah, that's a lot to ask of people when it's kind of outside their field. Yeah, those, those are questions that veterinary professionals actually brought up to me when they called and said, could you provide some help to us, you know, because of the tremendous guilt after finding out about a suicide. That's something I can certainly work on with them. The other thing I'd like to suggest is that that didn't come out of the blue. I mean, people don't go from, like, psychologically healthy and then have the death of an animal Mm -hmm. and then commit suicide. I hope that there's some solace in that for people is that, there's a whole bunch of other stuff behind the scenes to those stories, right? And I'm not sure that people realize that when they're faced with it. So that's a, an important message. When I, I give mm-hmm. presentations uh, to different veterinary hospitals, and that's something I will certainly let people know about because we talk about signs and symptoms to be aware of within mm-hmm. ourselves as professionals. Well, it, it may not even be mental health. I mean, I, th- I know that there's a statistic out there that was published a few years ago that somewhere around 20, I think it was 23% of callers into a pet loss support hotline said they had no one to talk to. So notwithstanding mental health issues, just to be able to talk to somebody mm-hmm. about how they're feeling around the grief of the loss of a pet, that's huge. It is huge. Mm-hmm. What about demographics? Who is utilizing your services? Do you have any idea? Well, we, yeah, I mean, we've had a, a wide range of, of folks. You know, when we first started promoting the service, we did it internally to our, our membership in VetVine as well as to our contact list of some nearly 30,000 veterinary professionals and pet owners. Interestingly, a, a large portion of people who signed up for our group these past few months since we launched in May, have come from all around the country, some of which were not known to us. It's unclear to me how they have found us. Mm -hmm. Certainly now that we're working more with veterinary practices and partnering with hospitals to serve as an extension, again, of their practice and, and being a referral source for this, we're getting people coming that way as well. So... I'd say it's a combination of word of mouth and um, referral sources, but 
honestly, we've seen a gamut of people. They, they've included pet professionals. I know we've had some breeders, people who've been are part of our list who've participated when they've lost an animal. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a wide range of, uh, of folks. Have you noticed an increase in participation since the pandemic? Well, we actually launched in the midst of the pandemic. So this service offering went live just this past May. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I'm not sure I can comment on that we've seen an exponential change in, in attendance because of it. It's still pretty new. Well, I, I've just been hearing so many people just recently. You know, they, we thought that pandemic was going to be done in a, in a couple months, right? Now all of a sudden it's several months more, and now it's going to be several months. So now I'm hearing, you know, shelters are not being able to keep animals, which is great. You know, they're, they're finding homes. But so it'll be interesting to see in the future if you see an increase as the pandemic continues. Well, I'm, I'm expecting that, I'm not sure about attendance or participation, but one of the initiatives that we're working on right now is preparing for the holidays and realizing that the holidays could be um, a particular trigger of grief, whether it's a recent loss or for people who've lost an animal a year or more ago. In fact, we've had some people who've participated in groups who experienced loss months or years ago. So you never know what's going to trigger people, but we're definitely working on hosting groups that maybe focus on certain aspects of pet loss for folks like that. Mm-hmm. So I know that VetVine, you know, your, your commitment is to supporting the wellness for veterinary professionals. Are there any other resources that you'd like to share? Yes. We have been committed to supporting the wellness of our colleagues. We started a few years ago creating a couple of message boards or forums that were moderated by individuals who have expertise either in veterinary social work in fact, I think one of your past guests, Kristen Bowler, mm-hmm. uh, had taken charge of that for some period of time. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, another veterinary specialist who's committed to wellness for professionals do the same. And as an extension of this pet loss and grief support service offering in, again, partnering with veterinarians to be there for them to lend the support, we are soon to launch a veterinary wellness and professional resiliency coaching program, again, in support of our colleagues to be a resource for them to get that kind of support and uh, reground, if you will, in how they feel their work-life balance is and um, perspectives on on caregiving. I think that's wonderful and very much needed. Yeah, we're very excited about it, and we've been working on this for a couple of months now and look forward to launching that very soon. Good. You've done quite a bit in the short time that you've had VetVine up and running. Well, it's we're, we've celebrated a 10-year anniversary, so it mm-hmm. doesn't seem like uh, such a short period of time, but we continue to grow, and I've just been super excited and thrilled for what's happened, particularly in this last year, again, with the launch of the Human-Animal Bond Program mm-hmm. that Lori was instrumental in helping to um, to coordinate and these other initiatives. So what do you think your goals and dreams are for the future? 
Well, for vet buying, it's that we continue to grow, that we continue to be utilized as a very um, useful and important resource for not only pet owners, but for veterinary colleagues. That's my vision and goal for this, for what we're doing, is that we continue to grow and, and be able to help pet owners and colleagues, veterinary colleagues. Mm-hmm. And Lori, do you see anything else as far as your goals and dreams for the future regarding the work at, that you're doing at Colorado State? Sure. I mean, my hope is is to continue doing research and, and working on different community projects, like you know, like the work that I'm doing with Jerry and Vetvine, to make a difference for the animals out there and for the people that care about them. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share about your services? Yeah, I would just like to point out that whereas Vetvine is a is a membership based community, um, we've provided a link to the Human Animal Bond Program that is an eight hour program that's approved for continuing education credit for veterinarians. Some of those programs are also approved for trainers to earn continuing education credits, mm-hmm. and the presentations are available at no charge. They're free compliments uh, to the sponsors of that series. And I think it's really uh, important and valuable information for colleagues, whether they're veterinarians or other pet care professionals, to kind of glean some insights on things that we don't commonly get as part of our training, nuances related to the human-animal bond, whether it's having difficult conversations. That program is heavily centered on end-of-life care topics, including euthanasia, grief, anticipatory grief, and grief after loss, Mm -hmm. as well as end-of-life communication, understanding hospice and palliative care for animals and that option. So it's a wonderful program. Again, it was great to work with Lori in, in making that happen, and I would love for anybody who's interested to browse the link that we've provided as all of those presentations are available for viewing on demand and at no charge uh, to anyone who's interested. I think that's wonderful. And the fact that you offer continuing education and that some of them are brief, so you could just listen to them during a lunch break at work, correct? You sure can. Yeah, that's (laughs) terrific. Do you think, you know, is this something that I can share during my presentations to the veterinary hospitals? I'm not sure that everybody is aware of this. Hopefully they are, but... If not, I'll, I'll be well, glad to share. Yeah, we'd love for you to share it. Um, it's there. It's, it's, we've done this for colleagues and for anyone who's interested in learning more on these topics. Again, this other service offering around grief and pet loss support is an extension of that and really helping to bolster the end-of-life experience that veterinary colleagues provide to their clients. It's so important on so many levels just because a pet passes away doesn't mean that a relationship between a pet owner and and the veterinary team has to end. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we also know that providing a poor end-of-life experience for pet owners can have a lot of adverse effects, not only on on the person and whether they might even decide to get a pet again, but Mm -hmm. also whether they might patronize that veterinarian again. So Mm -hmm. lots of reasons to, to care about this. That's a very important relationship between the pet owner and their veterinarian. And I don't think we say thank you enough to the veterinary techs, veterinary nurses, veterinarians who care for our animals. They do endless work through all kinds of conditions. They certainly do. 
I agree. <laughs> so Lori and Sherry, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your resources. I really appreciate the work that you do. Well, thank you so much for having us. It was wonderful. Well, I can't wait to hear what else you're doing in the future, too, and maybe you can come back on and, and share that as well. That Thanks, Allison. All right. Thank take you. care. We all value the important role that animals play in our lives. We depend on the expertise of the veterinary professionals to take good care of our pets. It's important to understand the perspectives and experiences of the veterinary professionals to know how to help them. Lori and Sherry recognize the need to support those veterinary professionals. They use their collective skill sets to provide a valuable array of services to the veterinary community, as well as those who have experienced the loss of a beloved pet. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy podcast.